Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, December 27th. We are here live. We're going to open the phone lines right now. It is time for the Power Hour. We've got the team here from Pittsburgh Power. We'll hear from them, and then we'll get to your calls and questions. We're opening those phone lines right now, so line them up. If you have a question about anything related to maintenance, engines, performance, fuel mileage, modifications, troubleshooting, upgrades, emissions, electronics, you name it, we'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and call us, 855 855- 950-3835 is the number. Feels almost strange to be back to work. That was the longest I've taken off in a while. A four-day weekend was relaxing. Got another one coming up this weekend. And then we'll uh, we'll come back and hit it hard in the new year. Let's find out what's going on with uh, the team from Pittsburgh Power. Then we'll get to your calls. So line them up, 855 855- Nine five zero three eight three five. Bruce, good morning. Welcome back. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. All that good stuff. Uh, same to you, Kevin. And um, I'm going to start with a gentleman called me, and he has three million miles on a C12 cat. Wow. Three million. And now it's been rebuilt once. Sure. And it's yeah. been rebuilt once. And he got 10 years out of our mufflers, so he just ordered another set of mufflers. Wow. I don't know if I've ever known so anyway, documenting 3 million miles on a block. I'm sure it happens. I just haven't really known mm-hmm. anybody that documented it. I know the, you know the big LTL fleet used to put a lot of miles on trucks, but that's pretty impressive. Yes, it is. So his question was, when it's time to rebuild this engine, should he exchange it for a remanned Caterpillar engine? So I called a friend of mine that's been with Caterpillar his whole life, and his suggestion was to save this block and crank and take it to a good machine shop and have them do the line bore and do the resurfacing the block and if it needs counter bore, do the counter bores. Because Caterpillar's doing everything they can to save all their C12 blocks. Huh, interesting. In so I, I would assume yeah. somewhere there there is a list of tolerances, right? I mean, we, we should be able to inspect a block and say, we can machine this to to where it's right again, or we can't, right? Mm-hmm. That's correct. But um, we're telling people now, if you have a C12, regardless of the miles on it, take it to a good take the block and crank to a good machine shop, and let them determine whether it's usable or not. Got it. So I guess the only risk we have here is the the money we might spend to find out if we can rebuild this block. I mean, otherwise, if we just said, look, we're right. just going to 
we're just going to exchange this thing and start over with the block we know is good. Otherwise, we're going to have to take some time, tear this one apart, get it out of the truck, send it to a machine shop and go from there. Mm -hmm. But, it, I, you know, if I, I would do it if I had that engine and I thought there might be a chance, I would certainly spend that money to try to keep one going. Um, the same thing with, right. you know, Series 60. We've seen so many of those. You know, the it's just a shame, I think, anyway, that the C12 was never more popular. I think that was a really, really good engine. I just don't think we realize it much because there aren't enough of them out there. It was a great engine. Uh, it, uh, I walked into a shop one day, and there was a C12 block and a C15 block, and they were both stripped, and they were sitting on where the flywheel would be. And they looked identical. Yeah. Yeah, I, I if I could, I would swap my C13 for a C12 in a heartbeat. I would love that engine in the coach. That's I think right. it would be ideal. That's right. And Pete's going to come in right now and tell us about the N14 and well, how he feels about the N14 block while we're talking about blocks. But, you know, whenever we do get an exchange Detroit, it's a new block right now, so. It's, so they're still building blocks then? They're still building blocks, and uh, I think they're making the 6NZ block also. Okay, interesting. And let's see what Pete has to say. Pete? All right, let me, uh, let me bring those guys in. Pete, good morning. Hello, Kevin. What's on your mind this morning? So I was going to follow up with what Bruce was talking about. So uh, a couple of things we're seeing. Uh, the 60 Series Detroit, Detroit is as great an engine it, it has been. We're seeing that the, the blocks are just past their life. Uh, there's just They don't have enough to clean off the deck to bring it within spec. Uh, we're seeing where what we call the lower packing, which is where the O-rings from the liner sit. They're, they're eroding there. And, and the blocks just aren't repairable. Now, fortunately, Detroit, if you buy a new engine or a reman engine or a three-quarter engine, um, you get a new block, which is great. Because now, you know, that's going to be good for two million miles. Right. You know, do a rebuild in between. Uh, that's great. Caterpillar, if you order a 6NZ engine, it comes with a different serial number, but it's essentially a 6NZ with a new block, which is great. Now, on the N14s, they don't offer that. But we don't seem to have the problems. Cummins really made that block pretty beefy, where we could take a lot off the deck and still be within spec. Uh, we don't have lower packing issues. Um, the counterbores, we can cut them for an oversized liner. We can cut them for a salvage sleeve, and then they have 10 over, 20 over, 30 over salvage sleeves. So that is a engine that's really repairable, or the block's very repairable. Um, you know, people talk about the, um, on the main bearings, uh, Cummins had some issues again for, they, they have a, I shouldn't say an issue. Um, it's, it's something that they want you to check, check for when you do bearings, if there's anywhere between the cap and the block, uh, I've only had to pull maybe two engines out because of it. 
and it's repairable. Basically, do a line bore, and it's as good as new at that point. So Cummins did a nice job with the N14, making this an engine that's very rebuildable for many years, unlike what we see in uh, you know the Detroit's where they're just wore out. Right, right. Interesting. But, you know the fact that you can buy an engine with a new block it solves that problem. Yeah, that's pretty amazing that they're still building those blocks. And like you said, now we're talking about a new manufactured block that if we took care of it, it's good for $2 million, maybe more. And you can see why they're doing that. So let's face it, that the 12.7 was extremely popular late 90s or early 2000s. And then when the gliders came out, yeah, what was the ratio? You know, 10 to 1, 20 to 1 between a CAD engine in a glider versus a Detroit. Yeah. So now they have all those engines that are going to be running a long time, but they're going to sell parts for it. It makes sense on their part to continue doing this. Yeah, really does. You know, it's interesting that that group of engines really, I mean, if we look at it from the late 90s through early 2000s, right before the emissions really started to kick in. We we look at the Series 60, the CAT, and the... We really kind of look back at the N14. You know, there there is a non-emission um, ISX, but we really mm-hmm. don't talk about rebuilding those much. I mean, we when we talk about pre-emission, we kind of look at those three blocks. And they really, all three of them were really great engines. Yeah, it's kind of the golden era for, for those engines. I mean, yeah. you know, as far as being after trouble-free, affordable. Um, now, of course, Cat didn't get the fuel mileage the 12.7s did, but obviously if you're hauling heavy, they were a great engine, very durable. Um, and again, you really just couldn't beat a 12.7 for multiple reasons. There's just, unless you're hauling 135,000 pounds, there's just no reason for someone not to be running a 12.7, in my opinion, back then. Because it would do everything you needed it to do. Yeah, absolutely. Even guys that are hauling 90,000 pounds, I mean, with our program, our manifold or turbo, you know, 600, six and a quarter torque, 18, 50, 1900 foot pounds of torque. I mean, what more do you want it to do? And still get great fuel mileage. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, I just had a thought there. Um, I lost it. Um, well, I guess maybe I'll get it back. Go ahead, somebody. So I was going to follow up with um, I had seen where they offer the new are out for 2027 models. And it's just typical crazy stuff uh, that they went on. You know, besides... Um, they want NOx to be down 50% through 2045, which is quite a range of years to bring it down. And they, they don't know the targets for the greenhouse gases yet. You, you'd think the engine manufacturers kind of need a heads up if they're going to need to start for 2027, what they're going to be. Um, they don't have that. They also want the engine manufacturers um, for the emissions equipment to last the lifetime of the engines. I thought it was 650,000. So, yeah. So again, as you read on to this paper they have out, um, they tell you lifetime of the, en- lifetime of the engine, but then it says 
on a diesel engine right now, the life of the engine is 200,000 miles, 15 years, which is, it's just, that's two years or less than two years of like 200,000 miles. And they want to take it up to 650,000 miles in 11 years, <laughs> which is kind of talking about both sides of their mouth at that point. Yeah. You know, on what they want. Interesting. You know, we were talking about it earlier and I kind of go back to it. I, I just wonder, you know, the Series 60 obviously is a really popular engine. So we tended to focus on it. We learned a lot about it. We learned how to get really good fuel economy out of them. It, now we kind of look back and we see how what a workhorse the N14 was, how long they last. And, you know, I also think about that C12 cat and I just wonder why we didn't focus more on both of those engines. You know, we always said, well, they don't get quite the fuel economy. I, probably not, but do we really know? I mean, we didn't spend as much time trying to get fuel economy out of them. I, I think what occurred with the N14 was, so Freightliner did the push in the 90s um, with the 12.7. And you remember when Freightliner owned most trucks of anyone because everyone was um, giving them back because they couldn't, uh, that lend lease they had or whatever they called it. Right. right. So those were out there. And then if a guy wanted to make horsepower, yeah. So if you had a five and a quarter and 14 and they dynoed it at say 500 horsepower, Cummins would say, well, it's in spec. We're not going to touch it. If you had a 550 cat and weren't happy with it, it was not uncommon to see a C15 under warranty through cat making 600 horsepower because guy wasn't happy with the 550. So, you know, fuel was cheap enough that people didn't care. Right. And if you wanted power, that was because cat was more than happy to give you the power. Yeah. And I middle. Hmm. All right. We're simply over. All right. What else we got today? Why is that a quick note on what Pete was saying? The uh, You're talking about all the 60 series. I just saw a press release the other day that Detroit has made their uh, one millionth engine out of their uh, Michigan plant. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's a lot of engines. So, That's out of one plant. A lot of, yeah, just out of that uh, Redford, Michigan plant or something. Yeah. That's a lot of engines. All right. All right. Anything else? That's it for me. All right. Well, I guess we'll get to some calls. We, uh, we're going to head. What about Leroy? Do you have anything else? Um, no, I, uh, I don't really have much for today. Uh, after coming back from the weekend, we're just kind of trying to get caught up on a bunch of stuff out in the shop. So I really don't have much for today. So, Okay. Got it. All right. Well, we'll get to the calls. We have lines open if you want to jump in right now. 855-950-3835. We're going to get started in Iowa. Dan, welcome to the program. Hi. Good morning, guys. Hey, so I wanted to touch on what you guys were talking about, the high mileage engines. I I might have jumped the gun when I called you when you kind of touched on the N14, but I've got an N14, and I am just about to hit 4 million miles on the original block. 
and was kind of wondering what a guy should do at that point. But wow, maybe just have it inspected real well and rebuild it again, or what? What's kind of your opinion on that? Well, it's definitely rebuildable. I, w- okay. I would get apart, have a local machine shop you trust. They'll, they'll deck it, they'll line work. Um, if it hasn't been cut for oversized liners, um, they can cut it for oversized liners. If it's already cut for the 2040 liners and it's out of spec, they can put salvage sleeves in and then it becomes a standard lower press fit block again. So a lot, okay. lot of life left that. I, again, I'd be surprised if they weren't able to, you know, clean everything up and still be within spec. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's been a great motor, and I still. I'm only. I've been running T5 in it, and I still only use about a gallon every ten thousand miles. And uh, which I kind of want to ask you on that too. The T5 I've been running is is ten thirty. Should I be running fifteen forty in this, or is the ten thirty all right? Well, generally, we do run 1540 on these older engines, but okay. obviously you're not having any issues with it. Four million yeah, miles on no. an engine, like you're doing something right. Okay. I'll just keep going with that then. Uh, the other question I've got is I recently bought a spare truck, an 04 Volvo with a D12. Is there? Do you guys do any programming for those? What year was it? It's an 04 12 the Volvo. Mm, I don't think that we have any equipment that's going to connect to that E12. No. Okay. Okay. Good. I, I, just, I got that. I, it, it just seemed extremely gutless, and I, I always thought the Sin 14 was kind of gutless, but not anymore. It, it's, it's a good little motor. All right. Well, that's what all about I got program- for you guys. Thank you. Oh, go ahead. What about that's programming the uh, What about programming the N14? I've thought about it. It's It's kind of been in the back back of my head to do it, but at the same time, I've got almost four million miles, and it's been a great motor. So I just kind of felt like it was up to par. But but it, I have I have thought about it. It's crossed my mind. Is it Does it make thirty two pounds of turbo boost? Uh, my gauge, I feel, is a little off. I I think it's probably closer to 27, 28 pounds, but it's a 460. Okay. All right, 28 is a 460. So okay. I, I wouldn't be afraid to take it up to uh, five and a quarter or 550, even with the miles on it. Okay. I, yeah, I've been in touch with a couple of your guys about maybe sending it in when I get that Volvo on the road and... I've got some downtime with this and pull it off. So we can do it remotely through. We can do it remotely through one of our tuners. Okay. Well, I'll look into that. I I feel like I don't get by very many of them, but but I can. I'll look into it though. Okay. Well, there's over a hundred of them throughout North America. So. Well, no, I can't. I can't, Bruce. Well, I might be able to, but this is a two-wire ECM, and I know a lot of guys can't connect to that, so that's why I was going to pull it off and send it in. Oh, okay. I, I what year is this it. engine? It's a 91 and an FLD. Wow. Wow. Yeah, and it's, it's the first electronic N14 Freightliner put into a truck is this one. I was going to say, that's really early for electronics. 
91. Yep. I mean, all, all yep. the Series 60s were electronic, but Cat and, and uh, Cummins really had just started. That's yeah. early. I bought this from the original owner, and he said it took like an extra week to get it. And when he found out, it was because Freightliner kept it for an extra week to run a bunch of tests on it to make sure they had everything connected right and working properly with that ECM on it. This goes to show how good that FLD truck was. Yeah. Oh, it's outstanding. Yeah. And, and I can still get yeah. parts for it. I can go to Freightliner and get new parts for it for a lot of it. Yeah, I'll bet. And there were so many of them on the road, there's still a lot of salvage parts around. Oh, yeah, plenty of them. Got plenty to go around. Yeah, good stuff. And then older 30 years ago, Kevin, or 20 years ago, we never thought we'd be talking like this about the trucks that are still running that are 1991s and a model KWs and 359 Pete's. You know, Bruce, I get, you know, we, we've often compared the, the truck emissions and what we've gone through over the last 15 years or so with the car emissions, like we went through that in the 70s. And, you know, we look at car engines today, I, I, they're, they're really amazing. I mean, you don't even have to open the hood half the time in cars today. You just drive them. They last forever. We're not replacing parts the way we used to. Um, I think we're getting there with trucks. Clearly... It's always going to be different with trucks just because of the number of miles we put on them. I mean, we're always going to work on trucks simply because the mileage where, you know, today's cars, hell, my my FJ Cruiser 2007, it's only got 140,000 miles on it because I don't drive it that much. It's really, it's never broken down. I mean, there has never been a time other than a battery. I went out one day, maybe twice since I've owned it maybe three times and it wouldn't start. And I threw a battery in it, which, you know, is still fairly simple on that car. Um, other than that, I don't know of anything that's ever broken on that car. Oh, a, a seatbelt retractor on the passenger side. I, it, that thing just runs and runs and runs. It just never breaks. We, we'll never get there with trucks just because of the, the miles we put on them, but they're, they've certainly come a long way. But if it, you know, think about what we did with kind of the small blocks. You know, once emissions started, we all kind of reverted back and we wanted to save the earlier, you know, small block engines from the 60s and early 70s. And we're kind of doing that with these engines now from the, the those last pre-emission engines that were really good. Yes, that's true. I remember the cars from the 1971-72. They were the most gutless thing. I thought, and I said to myself, I'll never own one. And I didn't until 1990. <laughs> I kept the 68 Caprice with a 396 and a Turbo 400. And when I got in the diesel engine business, that was my pickup. I used to put all the parts in the trunk of that car, put air shocks on the back to keep it level. There you go. Yeah. I wanted I wanted nothing to do with an emissions car back then. They, they, they just were, wouldn't go. They were awful. And if you think about them now, nobody collects mm -hmm. those cars. No. 
there's a, a decade or two almost in there where there just really aren't collectible cars. Nobody wanted them. And it, it felt like it wasn't just the emissions either. You know, the, the engines were a mess. They were gutless. They didn't run right. They hard starting. There were all kinds of problems with them. But it also just felt like the whole car got worse, didn't it? Didn't it feel like the 70s, just everything about those cars just felt like junk? Yeah. Yeah. The Ford Granada. Oh my God. The uh, the K cars. Oh, the K cars. The K cars saved Chrysler, but oh boy. When I was with Loftus Engineering and and I'd have to go rent one of those and if it was local I'd say, Let me drive my own car and pay me mileage. Yeah. They they were awful. The the GM that the, the no. citation and there was a bunch of others built on that same platform. They were just awful. Yeah, we got away from trucks there, didn't we? Yeah, we did. But, uh, you know, the same kind of thing happened. And maybe it was just they had to focus so much on the engines that the rest of the car kind of got left behind. And maybe that's why they were just so bad overall. Uh, you know, it feels like we went through the now, same thing the with other, trucks. All the, all the, you uh, know, one of the other. Go ahead. Problems was they wanted to change the style every year or two, and so they were more focused on changing the styling, because you know, like in and Chevrolet, you had the fifty-five, fifty-six, then you had the fifty-seven, then the fifty-eight, fifty-nine, sixty were. Those two are similar. And then all of a sudden the 61s and then the 62s and 3s, those three were somewhat close. And so then they got away from that and then they started to focus on the quality of the car. Yeah, good point. You know, the other thing that kind of is really different from what we did with cars here in this country and and most other countries, you just mentioned it, they were constantly changing the style. I mean, you might get two or three right. years out of a body style, and then they were making drastic changes to it. And one of the things that does is it just destroys the resale value because now there's a new, nobody wants the old look anymore. Now they want the new look. So when you look at vehicles that don't change that often, the Europeans, I mean, Look at BMW for a long, long time. Those cars are so similar. They made very slow, gradual changes over time. But the resale value holds up. The I was just talking about my FJ Cruiser. I think they sold that thing for, oh, how long was it? Maybe 12 years, 10 or 12 years. It never changed. That vehicle is virtually identical all of those years. And because of that, the 07 I have with 140,000 miles is still worth like 15,000. I only paid 22 for it. Yeah. But it looks almost identical to the last FJ Cruiser they sold. And mine was one of the first they built back in 07. They had been around for a couple of years then. But they really never changed it. And because of that, the resale value holds up so much better. By the way, a fellow just messaged me the picture of that 91 FLD with 4 million miles on. And the truck is stunning. 
you'd have no idea this truck was a, a 30, what, 32 years old now? Wow. Coming up on 33. Wow. And that's, I mean, that's it's beautiful. the original paint scheme it came from factory with. What a great story. Yeah. It's been painted, it's been painted three or four times, but it's the original well, paint scheme. It's way that's, from factory. That's very cool that they kept it original. But Don, you're, you're, yeah. You're still on with us, Don. Yeah, Dan. Yeah, I'm still here. I'm just listening. <laughs> yeah, Dan. wow. Now the truck looks phenomenal. Yeah, I, t- I try to take it to, a, to some truck shows every year and stuff. And I, that's why I bought that Volvo to try and keep the salt off of it during the winter months and try and keep it looking as pristine as I can. There you go. Nice. Yeah. Now, Kevin, let me see if I can send this on to you. Okay. I'd like to see it. While we do that, we're going to move on. Calls are starting to come in. If you want to join us, 855-950-3835. We're getting a little nostalgic today. I kind of figure it's going to be a slow week. Um, we've only got three days. This Kevin, week. That, Oop, go ahead, Bruce. That should come up on your messenger right now. Um, text message? No, Messenger. On Facebook? Or, uh, Facebook. I'll have to log in. It's been a long time since I've logged into Facebook. Uh, I will go look for that, though. Let me grab another call while I'm looking for that. Let's go to Ohio. Herschel, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. Well, I had two points, and now I got a third. <laughs> the third, he was talking about the... FJ Cruiser and why the resale is so good. And Kevin, I know you like the curb sniffer trucks, and I got one too because of the fuel mileage. Why do you think the W9 and the 379 still sell for what they sell for? They left them alone and they're just rock solid. I wish I could afford one. You know, that's that's actually a good point about those trucks and, and why they have maintained their. Uh, and that isn't as true as it used to be, but it's still true, just not quite as much. There was a time when those trucks absolutely held their resale value much better than other trucks. We're starting to see a little shift. You know, the well-specced modern trucks that were built right in Spectrite are now starting to hold their value, people are finally realizing. But the the classics did hold their value, and I think you just Touched on another good reason why. They didn't change. We talked about the FLD, what a rock-solid truck that was. You can't tell what year an FLD is. If you change the headlights on a 389 and you're not a Peterbilt aficionado, you wouldn't know if it's a 389 or 359 until you open the door and look on the dash. You almost can't tell. Yeah, there's a lot of those years where you just can't tell those trucks apart. Well, here's the, here's one for you. As you know, I now have a Volvo. I'm beginning to wonder about this decision, but anyway, um, years ago, and Bruce will know this, Pete Wood too. Cat Cummins, Detroit. All the power ratings were flywheel horsepower always, but Volvo Mac used to always tell their horsepower, but they always said that was to the wheel power rating. Is that still true today? I don't know. I don't know. I, don't I never that. knew that was true. Yes. 
Yes, yeah, so the 380 Mac is really, well, you, you know, Bruce, you do the 15% calculation. It's really like a 455 mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. Because this one's a 500, but it's only 1,700 torque, which blows me away. Why they didn't make it 1850, I'll never know. But, yeah, it's kind of weird. I just wondered if that's still true today. So you're saying the old 300 Mac from back in the 80s. Well, was 300 to the ground. That was to the ground. A Volvo Mac guy told me that at a dealership one time. He doesn't have any reason to lie. I mean, not that I know of. No. I'd be careful with that one. A guy at a dealership telling you that because they never know what transmission and rear is going to go behind the engine. Yeah, but it was a mechanic, not a salesman. So. Okay. I trust the mechanic a little more. <laughs> can you imagine, Bruce, Kevin, Pete, all of you, can you imagine how good these engines and trucks would be if the EPA and the tree huggers wouldn't have shoved this emissions bullshit down our throat? Could you imagine how good they would be today? That, it'd be pretty interesting, that's for sure. Wouldn't it, though? I would love to have one that they did without all the emission stuff and see what it would be like. Wow. I bet the fuel mileage would be the same. I I just got that picture. I cannot believe that that is a 91 truck. That thing is just beautiful. Isn't that something? Wow. Kevin, you're going to throw that up on the tribe. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll put it up on truckingtribe.com. What an awesome truck. Yeah. Four million so you miles. wonder why. How can a guy be driving in 1991 <laughs> when it looks like that and it's been maintained like that? You can understand why. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know I what? Bet, uh, there there isn't the mo- any reason if we really wanted to, you couldn't make that an eight and a half, nine mile per gallon truck. Yeah. I don't think it's a problem. I mean, he's got you know, the FLD, you know, they don't have the external air cleaners or the stacks. They're, um, so it's somewhat aerodynamic compared to a 379. Yeah, and we've seen in 14s are getting eight miles to a gallon. Yeah, they're, it, it, it's clean aerodynamically. I mean, again, he's got this one really kind of dressed up nice. It's really, really a beautiful truck, but... Um, it could also be a very, very efficient a truck. Holy cow! What? Uh, it's a, it's a great truck, no doubt. I'm looking at his last name. Looking at his last name, I think he comes from the German descent, and the Germans have a tendency to be perfectionist. Yeah, they knew how to make the trains run on time. All right. Herschel, what else you got? We keep getting uh, sidetracked. That was all. I thought I, I, I thought I would get more reaction out of how good would these trucks be without this emission stuff. <laughs> I, well, I, I agree with you. We, we keep getting sidetracked. I'm looking at, you know, a truck from 30-plus years ago that I would still love to drive today. Absolutely. Uh, and Herschel, you have to think, 
whenever the emissions came out and hit in 2003, the EGR, it was a nightmare. And so, so if you stop and think, probably the engineering at the engine companies uh, focused on emissions versus the quality of the engines. And then in 2008, whenever the DPF came, that was the next hit. And so we had 2003 to 2008, and then 2008 to 2012, uh, we had all those problems. And then the problems, we still had them in 13, but they weren't quite as bad. And now that uh, the emissions are working, and then with the max mileage catalyst, it makes the emissions trouble-free. Now we can concentrate back on the engine. There you go. I'm not sure That's if it's a very good thing. Last, I'm not sure if the engine companies want them to last more than what they are. I mean, it was a bean counter saying, hey, we're not making any money if this engine makes 2 million miles. Yeah. That's a valid point. I'm sure there's someone saying, wait a second, we don't need to get this engine this far. If it does a million or 900,000, they got their money's worth out of it. Yeah. You know, they make money selling not selling an engine to Peterbilt or Freightliner. They make it in a part sale. And if this engine goes 2 million miles without needing a part, they're not making any money. You know, it, it'd be interesting to get somebody from either the automotive or the trucking industry that, that if there is somebody, there seems to be there somebody should that should know all the financials. Like what has changed if we look at cars you know, all of us had cars in the 60s and 70s, and we think back to you replace starters constantly, solenoids and um, alternators and points and plugs. It, it was just constant fuel filters. You were always working on them. Brakes didn't last that long. You worked on cars constantly. It'd be interesting to know... If we were to go back and take one of those cars before we started with emissions, what was the the total cost of ownership over, say, a 10-year period? If somebody bought one of those cars new, kept them for 10 years, took reasonably good care of them with the initial cost of the vehicle, plus all of the gas and, and maintenance, what did it cost to own that car in 10 years? And how does that compare to the cost of a car today? You're going to pay a lot more for the car, but you're not going to work on it much. Hell, like I said, you you can almost go 10 years and not work on anything on a car today if you take reasonable care of it, which isn't even hard to do. I wonder how that stacks up and our trucks going to be the same way. Are we going to pay a lot more for the truck like right now we are, but will its overall cost of ownership be better because we don't have to work on them so much? So I think, Kevin, you know, years ago when you know, you're able to work on your own car, I, I did my own work, my dad did, uh, it was affordable. You know, brakes weren't expensive, plugs weren't expensive. I think now that you have to pay someone to work on them, if you had to pay someone back then to work on the vehicles, and it was probably more expensive to own that car than now when you do very little. But the fact that most of us did our own work, it brought the cost way down. Like nowadays, yeah. who can work their own vehicle? I mean, you had that problem with the battery in the um, yeah your Range Rover. Yeah, 
I, I know you'd replace the battery, Anybody? but I can't reset the ECM. Now I have to take it to a dealer to get it done. Right. Who, who would have thought that? Yeah. For a so battery. I think they last, but if you need something done, it, it's not inexpensive. You're not doing it yourself for most people. That's a good point. A whole lot more than what it did. You know, so. you look at the, the higher end vehicles, you know, the, the European BMW, Mercedes, Audi, those kind, or the higher end Japanese vehicles, um, you know, Acura, Lexus, those kind of things. If you follow their scheduled maintenance and, and you do all their services, have you ever looked at the price of that? It's insane. Like they, they do the AB service and some of those cars, the B service is like $2,000. What the hell are they doing? Hey, Bruce, what did they want to change oil in Debbie's car from the factory? The 2007 Volvo, they wanted $249 to do the oil change. Just to change the oil? But they also, well, they checked the battery, but the battery's sealed. They looked at the Fire <laughs> steering fluid. So that takes thirty simple. seconds. They look over at the ma- They look over at the master brake cylinder. There's a sight glass on the side. There is no dipstick for the automatic transmission. And this was in 2008, by the way. Yeah. And they also rotated the tires. I said, "Well, gee, you already have the car up in the rack." So. I'm still fighting the same cold I had last Tuesday. So, but anyway, uh, it cost me $27 for the seven quarts of oil and the oil filter back then. And I've done about 10 oil changes on it since. Yeah. So every time I change your oil, I say, well, there's another $249, dear. I, well, I wonder how much that cost has gone up. Right, that's right. Herschel had something to say here. Kevin, we couldn't have the old cars now because the liberals has got rid of the ashtrays and where are you going to put your matchbook so you can set the points? <laughs> that's how we always set the points was the matchbooks. Cover, you know, uh, set them. I, yeah. I use the feeler gauge. I, I always had the feeler gauge on, so. And then, then we bought the dwellometer. So once the dwellometer came, then we forgot about the feeler gauge. Yeah, I spent a lot of time with the feeler right, gauge. Guys. You know, Herschel. It's a remember cigarette lighters in cars; those kind of just disappeared. Oh yeah, yeah, cigarette lighters and ashtrays. <laughs> Maybe. Used to have ashtrays in the um, on the doors of the back seat. Yeah, the rear that's doors right. Had ashtrays in them. That's right. Yeah. They did the little metal things with the springy lid on them. Yeah. All right. Let's grab another call. Let's go to uh, Illinois this time. Brian, welcome to the program. Good morning. We're all trying to have a happy new year when it gets here. Hey, Brian, is there anything you can do to bring up your volume? Bring my microphone closer. That'll do it. That's Perfect. As good as I got. There we go. That's much better. Thank you. Okay. Yes, sir. 
So um, I was going to continue on the N14 saga, but Father and I owned four of those. Bought them from a fleet, had the service records from day one. Each of those motors went a million three before we had to in-frame any of them. And one of our drivers who put the most miles on the truck that he was driving bought that truck from us. He's now got two million seven on that engine, a million three on the end frame, and uh, he's not using any oil. He's gone on 18,000 miles for a gallon low. That's when he changes it. But I was in Columbus, Indiana. I had a regular run out of there, and I was having a truck service at the TA truck stop there nearby. And this older gentleman come walking by me, and he's talking trucks, and I thought he was a driver. And it turns out he worked for Cummins. And we were talking about the longevity of the N14. He said that was the best motor made. He says when he gets ready to in-frame that again, to pull that engine and soak it. I hadn't heard of that. He must not hot tank it. Yeah. That's, that's what he meant. He said, go ahead. Yeah. well, he said soak it, but I assume that's what he meant, put it in a hot tank. But uh, after listening to the fellow with the four million miles, I'm not sure he needs to do that even. But with this two million seven, they uh, looked at the bearings real quick, put the pan back on, they replaced the head, had uh, all the injectors and everything to, to put on that. Uh, and they left the bottom bearings alone. And he's still just running down the road, pulling 42,000 pounds. We had the engines turned to 500 horse from 460 because we didn't want to go any bigger than that with the, having to increase the radiator size or uh, or get too much torque. We were pulling some hills. So anyway, he's pulling 42,000 pounds. He's getting somewhere between 6.8 and 8.4 on miles per gallon. Been a good truck for him. He says he doesn't know him a dime. Yeah, there you go. But I've had I've been behind the wheel of three sixty series trucks. And I'd go back to my mechanical thirty four oh six any day. <laughs> M fourteen is my second choice, but it it, it holds us right up there close, that, that old thirty four oh six. Do so you like the four and a quarter cat? Uh, well, yes, it was a, ours was just a 400 horse, and we were getting six huh. five uh, every mile. We got the four and a quarters had just recently come out. They were it was an 85 model truck, they had yeah. 15 double overs in it, and they were just a tank. They ran the four and a quarters couldn't pull it on a hill. It couldn't pull those on a hill for some reason. Huh. It, no one could understand why. Dean Caterpillar in Kansas City did all our work. And there was a certain serial number series that we had two of those trucks. There was serial number series that those numbers met in the range of the engines we had. And they knew for some reason, particularly, those engines were just exceptional. We ran 890,000 miles on those before we in framed them. They tore them down, and they couldn't believe how clean the oil was in them. The mechanics wanted to know what kind of oil we were using. Back then, we were using a Pennzoil 1540. 
But you could pull those dipsticks from 20,000 miles and the oil was still clean. Maybe my friend Mike Robinson from Upper Marlboro, Maryland will call in. He's a four and a quarter B expert and he can tell us about those. Yeah, they were they were great engines. We just have good luck with the engines we've chosen. But uh, yeah, yeah, that that buddy of mine, he's he just pleased to death with the truck he bought from us. That's Excellent, good, good stuff. Yeah. All right, this we're gonna like head off nostalgic to. Day. Oop, go ahead, Bruce. This is like a nostalgic day. It is talking about old iron. I know, really is. I think it's the holidays. Let's go to Texas. Paul, welcome to the program. Howdy. So we'll continue on with the nostalgia day. Hey, Paul, I'm going to ask the same thing. Can you give us a little more volume? Maybe. I don't know. Hang on. Hey, Bruce, maybe we can approach Uh, it this way. Part of our problem with this setup is I've got four people on the same slider on my board, and I'm trying to manage everybody's volume. Bruce, is there any way we can turn your volume down a little bit? Yeah, let me try. Is How is that? Is that better? That's a little better. That allows me to bring that slider up for the quieter calls. Paul, go ahead. Can you hear me now? Is that yeah, any better? that's better. Go ahead. Well, continue with the nostalgia day. Another couple of trucks that never really changed. The R model Mac. I think that was identical from start to finish. They never changed that one. Yeah, what were the years they built that one? I don't know. That was my favorite truck when I was a kid, though. R model Mac, and it's like yeah, you're right. There, cab over Kenworth. There are a bunch of those that look exactly the same. You can't tell them apart at all. Yeah, and. In New Zealand and Australia, Peterbilt is not a popular truck. There may be 30 Peterbilts in New Zealand total. What? Um, In New Zealand, Peterbilt is not a popular truck. Yeah. There's there's probably, I'd say it's probably not more than 30 Peterbilts in New Zealand total. Yeah. what about Kenworth? Kenworth's real big, but most of them, there's a few that people have imported from over here, but mostly it's the Aussie built. Kenworth is really popular. But another pot, the the equivalent of a 379 in this country, uh, in New Zealand or Australia, is the Mack Superliner, preferably with the E9500 V8 in it. That's the that's the equivalent of a Peterbilt three seventy nine over here. So Got one it. sold at auction lately in Australia. I think it went for three quarters of a million dollars. It'd wow. be totally rebuilt, but just crazy money. So well, yeah, we that was a really really rare truck here. If you if there was even anything similar. Yeah. Well, the the Superliner, the ones you see over here. Very seldom do you see them with external breathers on them. Where in New Zealand they had, in Australia they got the external breathers, like a three seventy nine, and um, and of course we put the snorkels on them to get them up out of the dust, so just they look cooler. So, 
Yeah. Well, you know, with that V8, you probably need those big air cleaners. Yeah, it'll, it will cry some air because I think that's like a, like a 16-liter engine or maybe even bigger than 16.2 or something. I think it's so. It's a big motor. So. Yeah, that thing needs a lot of air. Well, one time when I was at Louisville and at the show, and I took a picture. There was a Mac Ultraliner there, and I took a picture of it, and it only had a 300 in it. I took a picture of that, and I put it on Facebook. And then there was a 379 Peterbilt or 389 with a Michigan um, B train on it. And it looked really good. And I took a picture of that. The Peterbilt got like 20 thumbs up. The Mac Ultraliner got like 120 thumbs up. But the most frequent common question on the Ultraliner was, does it have the V8? <laughs> so, yeah. But the, the Ultraliner got way more likes than the than the Peterbilt did. So, huh. yeah. So it's just strange how things can change. You go to a different part of the country or a different part of the world. So, yeah. So that's all I got today. All right. That's all we need. Thanks for the call. Uh, it looks like it might be a short day today. We're coming up on the hour here at the top and we're, uh, we're out of calls. Calls have been light today. I kind of expect that wow. this week. Um, anybody else have anything we want to talk about today? We'll wait a minute or two here on some calls if you want to jump in and join us. 855-950-3835. Anybody have anything? We are starting to fill up pretty quick on the owner-operator snowmobile conference. Josh Schaefer and Mike Lane are doing most of the legwork. And uh, Josh called me last night and I said, you know, I think we have a total of 22 rooms in the entire lodge. So if you're thinking about it, Josh is with Turnaround Express out of Moberly, Missouri. And Mike Lane's owner operator out in Utah or call Kathy and she'll forward your information on to me and I'll call you back. And it's the March 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th at the Line Shack Lodge in Dubois, Wyoming. All right. You know, we all have our rooms already set, so. All right, good stuff. Uh, let's see, I was going through my notes. I had some things I thought I might want to talk about earlier, but I can't find them now. Um, I read an interesting article this morning. I, I don't know if I've posted it yet or not. Um, I actually found a list of all the trucking companies that had gone bankrupt in 2022. Uh, it's bigger than I thought it was. I usually catch all of those in the headline, wow. but I, I missed a bunch of them. Um, a lot of really small companies, you know, 15 to 30 trucks. There was a bunch in that range. Uh, but there were several in that 100 to 200 range. And the interesting thing is 2022 really wasn't a bad year. It wasn't bad at all. Rates were still really strong. There's a lot of freight. I mean, even today, it's certainly starting to turn and rates are down, but there's still a lot of good freight rates out there. 
if this gets worse, I can't imagine how many we're going to lose. I, I think it's mostly because, you know, I, I some of these smaller companies, especially, I went back and, and looked, a lot of these have started or grown since 2008. And I've said that, you know, we've had a really good decade in trucking. Hardly ever heard about anybody going bankrupt during those years, but uh, I think that's about to change. I think we're going to see a lot more of this coming up. I think 2023 um, is going to be a pretty rough year for trucking. And that one company um, had 383 drivers, Matheson Postal Service. Oh, yeah. That's a big that, company to go under. That one is on the list. That one was, and, and you think about that. It's a postal contract. Those are some of the most consistent, you know, that's some of the most consistent freight I've seen. It's contracted. You're loaded one way, empty the other a lot. It, it, it's hard to believe how somebody screwed that one up. Just mismanagement. Yeah, you know, a lot of those companies that have had postal contracts have had them for 20 or 30 years. Uh, I have a, a couple things here that I, I, I'm probably going to do a, um, a recording this week. Well, I don't know if I'll get to it this week or not. I may even save some of this stuff for next week. Um, it's news, but it's not timely news. Just some interesting Stuff. I, I found a company. I, I don't want to talk about this till I can dig in a little more. Um, I had never heard of this company before, but basically what they're doing, it looks like they're going around and buying small trucking companies. And then I don't even know how to explain this kind of turning the company around. They don't get into enough detail but then they're selling things as they're actually calling it a built for you trucking business. So their whole point is to go buy these companies. They're probably struggling companies. Then they're doing something to turn them around and then selling them as this, you know, here's a trucking business ready to go turnkey. You just step in and start operating it. So here, here's what they claim. It says, I'm not, I don't want to say the name of the company, um, calls these homegrown business built for you trucking companies. When an entrepreneur or investor purchases one of these companies, which come with anywhere from five or more trucks, it includes the following features. Um, and then there's this bullet pointed list, a trucking business entity that has passed all thorough due diligence and checks. Well, they don't really tell us what that is, but OK, I get it. Well-aged MCDOT authorities. Uh, that's almost worthless. You know, so what? Your DOT number has some age on it or your MC number helps a little bit. It's not that big of a deal. Amazon relay account. Well, how hard is it to get one of those? I'm pretty sure you sign up for it. That's about it. Long-term relationships with the biggest freight brokers nationwide. What does that get me? I, I can go start a relationship with all the big brokers today. They always look for trucks. So a long-term relationships. Eh, don't really see what that's getting me either. Um, Rider National Truck and Trailer Rental Program, which allows companies to grow much faster than most competitors. 
Again, I can go set one of those up. Consistently high revenue and profits, no liabilities and pending claims. Well, I'd love to know what they're doing to make sure I get consistently high revenue and profits. They never mention any of that. Experienced and professional back office team, high performance CDL drivers already running. This is just a weird business model, in my opinion. And then they actually, probably going to get in trouble over this one, but um, they put a, a picture of the staff in there. When I look at this picture, there's there's eight picture eight people in the picture, um, four guys and four women. These are not typically the people I see running trucking companies. I don't know how else to say this. One, they're really, really young. All of them are really young. Um, they almost all look foreign, which doesn't bother me other than it's just an odd business model. And I just wonder what trucking experience any of these people have. The model they put together seems kind of interesting. You know, here you just buy this 10 truck company and you're up and running. But I, I just wonder where their experience came from and, and what they're actually doing. I may actually call this company and find out more about them. Just, it just seems really bizarre. You should, Kevin, because there's too many things that are negative in that, what you've just said. Yeah, I agree. I agree. This sounds really bizarre, but I could see people, you know, that have wanted to build a trucking company and haven't figured out how thinking this is just the easy way to go. Oh, let me just go buy one that's already set up right and running. What are they doing to make right. sure that these, so, so I have an Amazon relay account, big deal. I have a long-term relationship with the big brokers, the J, you know, C.H. Robinson and those kind of, well, so what? I mean, how hard is that to pick up the phone and call them? They have freight. I, I've never, there are very few people, small carriers that build relationships with those big companies that work. You're far better off going and finding a small broker when you're a small company. I've seen a couple people that have done it, done it really well, but it, it seems like they're promising an awful lot of stuff here, but I'm just not sure what any of it's worth. doesn't look like it's worth much to me. I'm going to do a little more digging. Probably just a bunch of colleagues that, uh, you know, graduated from a degree, with a degree in business, and they're going to set up a trucking company because it's easy that, you know, that's, in their minds. That, that's kind of what it sounds like. What it, yeah, and I, I'm going to post this. And again, you know, I'm going to post this picture. Uh, and I just want people to look at this and go, how many people, I know we're not supposed to judge people on the way they look, but how many people that look like this have you found in trucking with a lot of experience? I mean, none of them are old enough to have much experience at anything from the looks of it. I don't think anybody in here is 30. <laughs> I mean, some of them don't look like they're old enough to smoke. I know I'm getting old, wow. so people look younger than they used to, but th this is a young group of people that don't look like your typical trucking industry yeah. group. Uh, I don't know how else to say Been that. Been doing but it for a while. What's that, Pete? And where do they have the C 
Where do they have seasoned drivers when most people don't? Yeah, well, yeah, that's another good point. They let me go back to what they uh, what did they call this? Um, let me find my news again. They have this this term for the drivers. Um, why can't I find it? Okay, here we go. Um, high performance CDL drivers already running. Well, hold on a second. Here's here's something else to think about. If they bought these companies, usually you only buy companies that are struggling because if somebody has a really successful company, they're probably not going to sell it. So somehow they're buying these companies and then they, if they're not doing something to turn them around, they claim that they are, but I can't really tell what it is. How, how do you buy a 15 or a 20 truck trucking company and turn it around and end up with a whole bunch of good drivers. That's almost unheard of. If the company was that poor, they probably have really poor drivers. So what are these people doing to improve that before I buy it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to do a little work on this. I'll, I'll probably post something and, and at some point I'll, reveal the name of this company, but I want to do a little digging, see what I can find on that. Let me check, see mm -hmm. if we have some calls. We do. Let's go to New Jersey. Joe, welcome to the program. How are we doing, guys? Happy holidays, all that nice stuff. Yeah, what's on your mind today? So, well, I called about one thing, but what, since you're talking about a company that's trying to promote trucking companies, just remember back to Nicola, okay, how so much of Nicola was bullshit, right? The, the electric truck. Yeah. And that's where I think these people are. And Kevin, I'm going to tell you right now that if you call these people and you start asking them questions, they are going to ask you if you would like to become the president of their organization because you have more knowledge and information than they do. And they're going to want to bring you on board and use you as a, as a salesman and one of their tech people. That's, that's what it sounds like to me. You know, it, with, uh, with your experience and, and just like, you know, the, the, the forums you have and the, the calls we're on now, uh, you have more information that I'm sure these people would love to get their hands on so they could use it as promotional. Well, you know, one of my first questions is going to, you know, when I call, I, I'm not really going to give them my background. I'm just going to say I'm, you know, in the try, And I may even say, sure, I, you know, I'll stick as close to the truth as I can. Um, I, I may leave out some facts, but I'll probably call and explain, look, I, you know, been in trucking a long time. I had a small trucking company. I got rid of it. Now I'm looking to get back in. And this seems like a quick, easy way uh, and uh, I'm going to look through whatever companies they have for sale currently. I'm going to pick one that looks interesting. And the first thing I'm going to say is I want to see the financials. I mean, what else would you do? And then the financials will tell the story. Well, a lot of people just take, you know, their word for what the financials are. You know, everybody, just like truck drivers at the liars counter, as you call it. 
You know, guy's making 400000 a year. Uh, when it comes down to it, he's not. Oh, I'm making, you know, $1,200 a day. Yeah, when the numbers finally get done, he's making, you know, 70000 if he's lucky. So I think it's a lot of smoke and mirrors there on that. But um, the real reason I called, you guys were, were talking about, you know, you, you had time, a little bit of time today, and I thought it might be a good time since the, the weather has been so cold maybe to just throw out a few things to to us drivers out here that um, maybe things not to do when your truck is super cold. You know, like at what point do you not try to start the truck when the temperature's been down at 10 degrees, um, you know, for four days? I mean, I have my own things. I treat my fuel, uh, you know, make sure that the fuel's treated before the truck's going to be parked for a few days. Um, but, you know, I've, I've read stories of guys where it's so cold they go to start it and the, the seal around the oil filter might give way because the oil's so thick and the engine turns over, so it's got to come out somewhere and it'll blow the seal on the oil filter. I've heard things like that. Never seen it, but, you know, since we have Pittsburgh Power, um, Maybe they could throw a few oh. things out there, things we should do or shouldn't do. Let, let's tackle that one you just mentioned about oil seals blowing out when you try to start a truck that's too cold. I'll just say in all my decades of being around trucks and for a lot of years it was in a really cold environment, I've never even heard of such a thing as anybody else. No, now the oil pressure will be higher obviously, because the oil is thicker, but if you're running clean oil in the correct weight, it's not an issue. It doesn't have a pressure relief valve on the oil yeah, pump. Yeah, there's bypass. Yeah, it dumped yeah. the oil if it got too high where it would hurt anything. Uh, yeah, I was going to say that. Where would it, wait, can you, could be. Did you say there's a release somewhere? Yeah, the pump itself. There's a pressure release? No, it's above the oil filter. On the, on the older trucks, anyway, it's above the oil filter. But I'm not saying they can't blow that gasket out. There's a lot of pressure when that pump's cranking, especially so, when it first if, starts. So, Bruce, here, here would be my... But if there is a release... Does the, Bruce, does here would release, be my question. Release it at this Bruce. moment and not, Bruce. you know, and then would it seal up again or do you have to go back and seal it? Hey, hey Bruce, you, you and Pete have been yeah. there in a shop every day for a lot of years. How many of those repairs have you made? None. Well, we haven't, but... None. You know, you're never going to see it all. You're never going to see it all. And look at how many times a guy gets his oil changed and they don't put the filter on tight or they don't put the drain plug in tight and then he loses it. So in a case like that, whenever you're starting a cold engine, if that filter's not tight, it could blow that gasket out because that pressure relief valve is right above the oil filter. And when the engine does start and the oil's cold, it is bypassing the full flow filter. Okay. So that pressure release valve that you're talking about, I've never heard that there was one before. Would that be something yeah. that it's releasing internal pressure or releases the pressure no. externally? When you, 
when the oil can't get through the filter fast enough to supply the engine, it bypasses the filter. Oh, okay, very good. Interesting. You know, we still have block heaters, and years ago we used to have plugs that went into your oil pan to heat the oil. And if I lived in super cold client, I would have climate. I would have the oil heated. I would have the coolant heated. And I would also have, who was it, Pete, that made that heater that went in the fuel tank? Fox. Fox? Fox, yeah. Mm-hmm. Fox fuel tank heater. I always thought yeah. that was a good idea. Well, and yeah, well, maybe if we have any listeners from Alaska, I know they wrap a lot of things. And so. uh, let, let's say you lived in Minnesota, North Dakota, whatever, and your truck's going to be down for four days for a holiday, and it's below zero. Uh, there's a fellow up that way that had, he built a, he has a old army parachute that he bought on salvage, and he puts it over the truck, and he puts a space heater under it. And that's another way to get it warm. Years ago, we used to put charcoal in a pan and put it under the oil pan yep. to heat it. Yep. Guys burn their trucks that way. But I, I've done that many times where I've blocked off around the bottom of the truck from the skirting down to the ground with cardboard. And I've pulled up a vehicle like a, a pickup truck with the exhaust running under the truck. You let that sit there with that hot exhaust running for 30, 40 minutes, and the whole vehicle temperature becomes about 45 degrees in, a, in oh, wow. 45 so, minutes. So, you know, I, I, so it I'm warms all, up everything, all the fuel lines. Yeah, I'm all for all of and, those things. Anything we can do to keep things warmer, you know, we don't have to do it as often as we used yep. to. These new trucks are so much better. But I want to go back to your original question the question of, is there ever a time where you shouldn't attempt to start a truck because it's too cold? And, you know, your first yep. question was, well, what if I blow out this, you know, oil filter? Well, we've just determined that in a shop that's been around for 40 years, they've never seen that repair ever. So I don't think I would worry too much about that one. Good. Uh, are there, and I don't know yep. of any, I mean, I can remember trying to start trucks when it was really, really cold and doing anything I had to do to get them running. Um, is there some, at some point, should you say, no, it's too cold, I'm not going to try starting this? I don't think so. Yes. Yeah, Kevin, there is. Um, we were snowmobiling once north of Montreal, and it was 25 or 27 below. And that happened to be the day we were leaving. I had my 95 Dodge with the Cummins. But... I had the block heater plugged in all night, so I was okay. But let's say you didn't have electricity available and it's 20 below. I wouldn't try to start it without preheating the truck. And I like that trick with the well, wait exhaust. A minute, wait, I've never wait a heard minute. of that one. Wait a minute. I, I didn't say just walk out to a cold truck and try turning the key. What we're asking, and I think what okay. he was asking, is, is should we not even attempt it? Now we can all start talking about all the tricks we use to warm things up, to make things flow better, use either, whatever it is. I, I agree with you, Bruce. I would not walk out at 20 below and just try starting a cold truck. Not because it's going to hurt anything. 
you're not going to hurt anything trying. It's just not going to work. Well, you're just well, not going to get it started. Well, let's, you know, years ago, um, yeah, I called and said, man, I spun a main bearing or spun a rod bearing. And when it's super cold and there's no oil pressure and you're cranking and cranking, that crankshaft is sitting on those bearings. When it's going down the highway, the oil pressure keeps it centered. So it's not actually touching the rod and main bearings because you have your oil film in there. So the crankshaft tries to climb up the side of the bearings when it's cold and you're cranking. So there is, there is a... But I think if you're running the right oil... You know, yeah, if, the, if I'm in that, I'm going to say the I'm 1030 and I'm running synthetic oil, which we know has more startability than, you know, 1540 mineral base. And it's going to be a lot easier to start. But again, you have, you can't have 1540 where it's 25 below and expect it to it probably won't even turn over without heating it up. But if you're running 1030 you, uh, synthetic, it probably will. Yeah. When, when you do start an engine that's very cold um, and it'll bang, you know, make a lot of noise, what is it that's actually making those noises? Uh, you know, before we had the computer, you know, the, the truck would sometimes run high, low, up and down. But then with the computers now, my understanding is it, the computer is mixing the proper air and fuel for it to get normal as quick as possible. But sometimes if an engine, because I had it a couple of years ago, and it was about 30 below zero wind chill, and the truck, I thought it was going to be warm because my generator was running, and I thought the generator would keep enough heat going up to the block, but it didn't. But when I started it, you know, it starts banging and making noise. And, you know, you sit there and say, oh, my God, what am I damaging? So what causes the noise? Is it the fuel that's not being able to burn that's chiming in the cylinders or something? Or, or what is that? I think it's the fuel on the electronic engine. And, Leroy, if I'm wrong, let me know. On the electronic engine, it's able to advance the timing. The engines start in the retarded mode, but... And within about four or five seconds after they start, they want to be advanced. And that's why if you see white smoke on a really cold engine, even though it's electronic, and then all of a sudden it clears up, that's the timing advancing. Uh, the STC Cummins would do that, and the mechanical variable timing, like on the twin turbo 475, they would start in retarded mode. And then in about as soon as they got some air pressure, and on the STC, as soon as it got oil pressure, it would advance. So when it's retarded, it lets the piston get closer to top dead center to generate more heat. And then when you advance, it fires way before top dead center. So what you're hearing, especially on the older mechanical engines, was just trying to burn the fuel. So I just experienced okay. this on my c13 this last trip this past winter i was in wyoming and i think when i parked it was like 16 or 17 degrees which you know i really don't need to run i think i 
ran the generator for a little bit and then turned it off and went to bed. And I thought, well, I'll be fine. It's, you know, if it gets down to 10 or so, I, I woke up and it was two degrees and it had been several hours. And I thought, well, I should probably start this thing. You start getting down to zero. I start worrying about things starting. Um, it almost didn't start. And then it finally caught and Bruce, it was doing exactly what you were just describing, just rolling white smoke. Like I had just wiped out, you know, 50 yards around me. You couldn't see anything. There was so much white smoke. It probably took, and this seemed like a really long time. I'll bet it took almost three minutes for that to clear up. That's a long time for an electronic engine, too. So. That's what I thought it was. But remember, this mm -hmm. was, Leroy, you'll remember this because you were there when we were doing all this. This was when, before we brought it in and started doing anything to it. This was when we first started working on boost leaks and remember all that. So remember how bad it smelled even oh, yeah. when we got it in? Remember when it was running? It smelled mm -hmm. awful. Yeah. Yep, I remember. So I have a feeling a lot of that, the reason it took so long was just because that engine just needed a little TLC. We had an awful lot of boost leaks. We had uh, that muffler looked like somebody poured concrete into it. Um, there were just some issues. Yep. All right, let's see what we've got. For yeah, it's, a good, it's a good reason if you're an owner-operator and you live in cold climate to have a house that's at least on an acre and put up, whether it's a pole barn or a metal building, um, but put up a garage and be able to heat it to put your truck in because that it will return in less maintenance and your truck will last many years longer. That makes all the difference. You know, the worst case I remember, the worst weather I can recall would have been thinking it was probably like 92. It was early 90s, right before I moved to Florida. In fact, that winter was the reason I moved to Florida. That winter was so bad that year, I thought, oh, I've had enough of this. Uh, so whatever year that was, we could probably go back and figure it out. Um, I remember one, now we went, this was Northeast Ohio. We went, if I remember right, it was 32 days. It was more than 30. I remember passing 30 days without going above zero. That's how cold that winter was. We had 30 days where we didn't even get above zero. And the worst case, I remember one night with the wind chill, it was like minus 50 something. That was the, the day that I saw the most trucks broke down everywhere on the side of the road. You could see them in parking lots with hoods up. Nobody was getting anywhere. I managed to make my run just fine that night, but my truck was inside. When I went into work, you know, I, I, I was the only contractor in that terminal. So I used our dock space inside and I would park my trucks when they weren't running. And I was able to pull it out of a nice warm building and you know, not turn it off and make that whole run. But I also remember driving in a snowmobile suit with hat and gloves because there was no way you could stay warm. You couldn't get any heat <laughs> in the truck. Yeah, yeah, that's the big difference in the trucks today. I've got a Volvo, and when I tell my buddies about 
you know, the doors are heated. <laughs> you know, you've got heat vent coming up along the doors, and it, you know, the vent to to keep the wind, the uh, side windows clean. But you know, remember when you used to touch your knee against the cold door? Oh yeah, in the middle of winter. Yeah, and you, and you know, you felt like your knee was going to have arthritis for the rest of your life. Well, now you know, you can put um, your knee up against the door on these Volvos, and it's. It's so warm and cuddly almost. Yeah. People don't realize how well some of these trucks have been designed. Well, the other thing you you dealt with in those old trucks on a night that cold was you had to scrape the ice off the inside of the windows. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, that's how cold it got. You You were driving with a scraper and scraping the inside of the glass. It was so cold. Yeah. All right, we're going to grab another call here. We're going to head off to Iowa. Lance, welcome to the program. Hi, guys. Uh, I've got a 6NZ that came out at 450 or 455 horse, and I was wondering what what a guy could do with that to get get some more power out of it. Well, the first things to do is put our mufflers on it, our damper and balancer, the manifold turbo and let our engineering department program it when you can have about any horsepower and torque you want. The the turbo has been, the turbo is non-wastegated and we did put your damper on it. We did not put the balancer on. Okay. Um, and okay. The, exhaust is, the exhaust is open. All right. The yeah, exhaust is open. And did you put our manifold on it? No, sir. Just the manifold and turbo alone is about 80 horsepower. Okay. So, and then the program, that's all you need to do. Okay. The the shop that does the most of my maintenance has a computer that he's able to hook up to the truck and able to get onto the internet with. Would he, would he be able to, to get with you guys to do that without a great amount of trouble? Yeah, we right. That works. Pardon. Yeah, we can make that work if he's got the uh, a laptop and everything. Yeah, we can make it happen. Okay. Is there someone in specific that we need to get in contact with on your end to get that set up? Um. Yeah. So just contact her, us during our working hours, and uh, we'll we'll get a hold of your guy or whatnot. Just schedule a time for us, and uh, we'll if we need to install any software we'll do that and we'll walk you through the process and should take less than an hour and a half i would say okay so with that would that have smaller injectors being lower horsepower or were those all pretty much the same do you think um the really low horsepower ones yours might be on the edge of that like i think there were some 370 versions or really low 400 versions that had small injectors but yours might have the um the next size up but yeah i mean with with the turbo that we put on you're gonna have with the tune you'll have plenty of power you'll have more than you'll ever need so okay even with the small computers okay that that sounds like the plan i will will work toward getting you guys together and see if we can make that happen okay Okay. cool all right sounds like a plan so kevin i do we have any calls right now we don't What's on your mind? Okay. I had a guy call. He has the MBN cat. 
which was the predecessor to the BXS, the twin turbo Acer. And that was the bridge cat, and that was the one that Caterpillar had to pay a fine to the government for every engine they built. And it was a bad engine until we figured out how to make it a good engine. But he had it rebuilt, and they put six NZ pistons in it, and they put a 5EK camshaft in it. And I don't know who programmed the ECM, but he's not happy with it. He wants to bring it in. And, you know, we talk on the big cams and the N14s how you can't mismatch the parts. Well, here's a Caterpillar that's had some mismatched parts because he stayed with the MBN injectors, and you can't do that because the MBN has a higher compression ratio, and which means the piston's taller, so the spray angle coming out of the nozzle is different. And that's probably the majority of his problem right there is the MBN injectors need to be changed because the injector spray angle has to match the dome of the piston. So if you have a mechanic who wants to do all these strange things, you're better off to keep the 6NG camshaft, the 6NZ pistons, and the 6NZ injectors. Now, on the MBN, once we unbridge it to the manifold and turbo, it's a great running engine, and it does great on fuel. I would stay with the MBN camshaft, the pistons, in the injectors. It's a turbo manifold and ECM programming that need to be changed on the MBN. But when people call us and they have a morphodite like that and they're not happy with how it runs, sometimes you have to go back to the basics. Got it. All right. Good stuff. Anybody have anything else? No, no, I had I don't. one other thing, and again, I'm working on this for later. I just found it this morning, and I want to do a little more digging on it. Um, where was that website I had? So this is a website. Uh, it's called Next Big Future, and it's a news site. They report on a lot of different things like science, technology, the military, medicine, quantum computers, artificial intelligence, crypto blockchain. They kind of just report on a lot of kind of cutting edge technology. And I just happened to see that they had a headline and the headline said Freightliner Cascadia trucks versus Tesla semi, um, which was kind of misleading because it's just a really short article and they don't really compare. Well, I guess they did a fairly decent job of making a comparison. The problem is the numbers they're using for the Tesla truck, they, it sounds like they just made them up. I mean, they they talk about the weight because we've, we've been questioning the weight and it doesn't seem to be published anywhere. And they say it's 26,000 pounds. But then I read later on in the article that it, they're just estimating. They have no, other than their guess, they have no idea how much it weighs. They're just guessing it's 26,000 pounds. But then there's another number in here that makes me a little insane that they posted this because I can't find this anywhere. And I'll guarantee you this is bogus. It says the cost of one year 
driving 100,000 miles is $17,000 for the Tesla and $80,000 for any diesel semi driving 100,000 miles. Does anybody find a problem with that sentence and those numbers? Yeah. First off, where did they get $80,000 for 100,000 miles on any, their, their term, any diesel semi-truck? Well, bullshit. What, what cost are they taking into account here? It's clearly not just fuel. The worst truck on the road doesn't spend that much on fuel. So are we talking about fuel, maintenance, truck payment, all that stuff? Because then I'm not sure where they're getting $17,000 for a Tesla, because that's not going to happen. Uh, it's just comical, isn't it? it? It is. It's ridiculous. The problem is people read this, and it looks like a fairly legitimate website, and they start to believe this kind of crap. Yeah. I, I mean, something has to, like a red flag has to go off in your mind when, you know, it, there's that much of a difference. If it was one thing, if they were like, the diesel truck costs you 40000 a year and this one costs you thirty five, Right. You know, that's, uh, you know, okay, there's some savings there. But when you go from seventeen to, would you say eighty? Eighty. Or eighty? Eighty thousand dollars for a hundred thousand miles. And, and if that was true, then everyone would buy one. You, you'd be an idiot not to buy one. Exactly. But it's nowhere near true. No. no. I, I might I mean, as well just charge it. I must just throw darts at a dartboard to come up with numbers. I, they don't explain where they came up with any of these. Yeah, without them having, okay, price of maintenance, uh, you know, generally, you know, let's, and what your truck is it? You know, the, the maintenance between a 2,000-year truck and a 2,010 are completely different. So what are they basing that on? Are they comparing two new trucks? Are they comparing a Tesla to a, you know, B model cat? They're not saying. And along that line, here's something I don't feel like we bring up a lot, but that how long we brought up how long is that battery going to last? So if you own this Tesla truck for five or six years, and let's say after six years, the battery's toast, that's gotta be like at least six figures you know, to replace that battery. It's got to be at least $100,000 to replace a battery in a truck. You know what I mean? On most cars, it's not worth the expense. The so, car isn't worth what the batteries cost. Versus if you had a regular diesel truck, like how many years, you know, over time until you have to rebuild the powertrain is essentially what you're doing when you replace the battery. Like it just doesn't make sense because that battery is only going to last a couple of years. Well, here, here's another fact Where that... They claim in this article, well, they don't claim. I found this in one of the comments. Somebody is just like I'm doing saying, wait a minute, where did these facts come from? Where are you getting these numbers? They don't make any sense. And then they said, here's a fact for you. We don't have any numbers in kilowatt hours, but I can tell you what the average fuel mileage for a semi truck is. They claim it's 8.7 miles to the gallon. Now, they're making a big deal about how they have facts, but their facts are wrong. That's bullshit. It's 6.6. That's the real number for the average fuel economy for trucks in this country today. 6.6, not 8.7. I don't know where the hell they got that number. Yeah. It would be nice. It, yeah, except it's not true. 
So you're going to leave St. Louis, and it's winter time, and you're going to you got a load for Denver. Where are you going to charge this Tesla truck? Well, that's a big issue for all electric vehicles right now. We we have to build out charging infrastructure, but I I love to know who came <laughs> but, up with so the seventeen thousand dollars to can, to run a truck a hundred thousand miles. How can you say it's going to cost seventeen thousand? That's what I mean. Right? You don't even know where you're going to get the electricity to charge it. That's my point. And and nowhere have I seen anybody put a price on this electricity yet. Right. Yeah. It's just all a mess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, they're talking like they already know the price of the electricity, except I can't find it anywhere, and. I can't believe it's just going to be the same everywhere. Isn't it going to be like fuel? Isn't it going to be and different? I, I would have to imagine you'd have to have some sort of surcharge because you had to build a facility that could handle charging trucks. And you can't just charge in the same electricity as what the building gets. You know, Wouldn't you have think. to pay for the building. You have yeah. to pay for all the, the equipment. This is the problem I have with the electric vehicles. It's not that I don't like the vehicles. It's I don't like all the bullshit and and lies about them. Let's just deal with the reality yeah. and what they are. This is just ridiculous. And then, you know, I, I try to figure out who this author is. Well, Brian Wang is a futurist thought leader and a popular science blogger. Well, Obviously, he knows nothing about trucks. He probably should stick to things he knows about to write about because this was a this was a total waste of space to even print this stuff. Yeah. All right, we've got uh, one more call. Let's pretend you're right out of. Oop, go ahead, Bruce. Hi, Kevin. Let's pretend you're right out of college. You have your master or bachelor's degree. You're 22 years old. You're hired by an engine company, and your supervisor said, here, write an article on this. Yeah, that's about what this sounded like. You don't even know how to change a spark plug or change oil because you came from a middle-class family, and all of a sudden now you're working for someone. Here, write an article on this. Yeah. So you get on the computer, and you start to do your research. So now you're going based on what other people are putting into the computer. Good point. And that's all this stuff is. Yeah. That's all this is. You're right. Anybody can write about anything. You just go into the computer and look. You can come up with your own thoughts. But your thoughts are somebody else's and somebody else's. Good point. It, that sounds like this was. Like he just randomly went out and did Google searches and started pulling numbers out of the air. I, I'm not even sure he did that much. It sounds like he made up some of these numbers. All right, let's grab one more call. Let's go to New York. George, you get the final word today. What's on your mind? Hey, how you doing? Uh, um, little story at the max mileage. Got an old snow blower that I had in my house that I came out of a garbage dump, actually. Uh, last year, I threw a couple of drops into the gas can, put it in the snow blower. Um, started to do my thing, and then the thing started to run like crap. So I kicked it off to the side, let it idle. A few minutes later, it revs up. I grab it, hit the snow, and since I own that snowblower, I never could run that snowblower with the choke completely open. Ever since that Max Miles went through the system, the thing runs like, a, like it's brand new, I would say. 
right through the snow, that, so completely open. Isn't that amazing? That's a, just a four-stroke gasoline engine, right? Nope, it's actually a two-stroke. And then it was actually pulled stroke. out of a garbage dump. Yep, two-stroke. Wow. Wow, what what brand is that? That's that's a two-stroke snowblower. It's a little Craftsman uh, snowblower. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing what that Max Mileage Catalyst can do in gasoline and on two-stroke. Yeah. yeah, I use it in my own personal pickup. Um, I'm a company driver, so uh, it's not getting used in the company truck. But because uh, they won't listen to the, they got a bunch of problems. I'm driving a 2015 ISX uh, Cummins. It had an in-frame done about a year ago because it was using a bunch of oil. Uh, in-frame is a good, you know, the job is done correctly, but um, the DPS isn't been given a lot of problems. The code that keeps coming up is a 4364. Um, they re- replaced one canister. Um, cooked the other one, changed a couple of sensors, and over the course of almost a year, went to two freight two freight line of dealerships that just flashed the computer, still didn't solve the problem. Um, some other codes came up, don't remember what they were. Uh, just got it back from another shop out of Newark, New Jersey, and hopefully this guy knows what he was doing because he said he was monitoring some stuff on the computer and you're supposed to be at four. It was at seven. I'm just curious if maybe you guys at Pittsburgh power have any other clues that maybe I should be, uh, why don't you have the owner of that company call me and let's talk about the catalyst and I'll have talk to Dr. Jane Gates because you know, let's go back three and a half years. Uh, have you been listening to this show for three and a half years? Oh, we talked about was emission problems. We yep, talked about emission problems, emission problems all the time in deletes, and that was the only way to save these trucks. Now, everybody that's listening to the radio show is running the catalyst just about, and we don't have problems. We don't have people calling in with the, the problems. And then whenever... Mississippi spotlight. Hello? Oh, yeah. I don't know what that was. That, Mississippi law enforcement. <laughs> They're bleeding into you, Kevin. I think so. But but, it, but anyway, Kevin, look, we, we, we're not getting calls about emission problems, and when we do, it's not the guys running the catalyst. And so they run the catalyst, they, get, they go to a DPF alternative and get it clean, and then they buy the catalyst there too, and they have a lifetime warranty on cleaning. Every 500,000, you take the DPF in, you have the ash cleaned out, and that's it. The problems are gone. But then you get these companies. They don't want to spend the money. You know, they go peak ready mix in Silverthorne, Colorado. They buy a thousand E, or the whole company buys a thousand EGR valves every year, and they just replace them. They think that's the answer, and it's not the answer. And for two years, they ran the catalyst because of their uh, maintenance superintendent, tried it, and saw that they had zero problems. And then he went to Hawaii, and their lead mechanic uh, went out on his own, and they decided to not run it, and they're back to all their problems. 
And that's the yeah, problem well, with pleats. Dealing with people that are stuck up in their office. You know, it's a problem. Yep. And, uh, yeah. Well, and Kevin, I bought your program back in 2015, Stop Holding the Steering Wheel. And uh, this dusted it off a few years ago because I was getting the urge to do my own thing again. But the main thing was your program and the numbers weren't satisfying to me. And it was just in the, in the, the admission system. Wasn't willing to take the chance on going on my own with that situation. So yeah, I stick to be a company driver. I got another seven years to go to retire. That's it. There you go. There you go. And that was my point on the first part of that whole book was to talk people out of doing this, not to talk them into it. And I've talked a lot of people out of it. I think for most of them, it was a good decision. Uh, One more thing here on the. um, Wait, wait, don't let this driver go. Is he still with us? No, we lost him. Uh, hopefully he's still listening. Be careful with that R word, that retirement word, because, uh, you know, I was in Florida for a month and there's 80 year olds working in toy stores, putting price tags on because they can't afford to be retired now. So let's think if you retired 10 or 15 or even six years ago, you thought you had enough. Now you don't. You got to go back to work. So never give up whatever it is that you can make a living by doing so you don't have to go and bag groceries and work in McDonald's and do stuff like that. Good so point. be careful with retirement today. You, there's, you can't trust any of these politicians. Good point. So Bruce, here's some more numbers that'll make you crazy on what they're trying to do with electric trucks. Th- this is what makes me a little crazy. So we're talking specifically about California right now. And I've got an article here. Again, I haven't had time to go through it in depth. Um, I just found it this morning. But it says hydrogen fuel cell one step closer with carb order. So Nikola is producing a truck they call the Tray, T-R-E. And they refer to it as an F-C-E-V. That's a fuel cell electric vehicle. So we're using a hydrogen fuel cell. So we're going to need to stop and put hydrogen in this truck. So we need hydrogen stations somewhere. You just asked earlier, if you're driving from X to Y, where do you stop and charge? There's no difference with these hydrogen powered trucks. I I still have to get hydrogen. And, And where am I going to do that? I'm pretty sure there are far more electric charging stations in the country today than there are hydrogen. But this is... Nicholas truck. It's a cab over. Um, They are expecting to go into production in 2023. And here's why they're going to go into production. Um, Nicola received a California Air Resources Board zero emission powertrain executive order. That is a requirement for eligibility for California's hybrid and zero emission truck and bus voucher incentive project. Um, The Nicola Trey FCEV as an authorized vehicle under the HVIP program for a base incentive amount, get this, California is going to give them some sort of a tax credit, $240,000 per truck. That's the state. 
the federal will also give them another $40,000 tax credit. $280,000 of our money, well, not ours because we don't live in California. Um, the federal part is ours. But if I were in California, I would be so pissed. $240,000. It goes up, though. 270000 per truck for drayage fleets or up to 288000 per truck for fleets with 10 trucks or less performing drayage operations and located within a disadvantaged community area. Eligible non-drayage fleets may secure up to 30 HVIP vouchers and drayage fleets may secure up to 50 vouchers. Do the math on that. Somebody's going to get potentially two, let's see, two seventy four, three hundred and ten thousand dollars times fifty trucks. Where's that money going to come from? It's coming from us, the taxpayers. That's the only place money does come from. The government doesn't have any. It has to come from us. That's right. Hey, Kevin, they're also talking about doing that with school buses. So, and I, I, I'm sure it's California. I, I don't remember exactly where it was, but if you have a, if you're a school district and you want to get away from the diesels, which most of them are now, and you get the electric bus, they're, they're almost paying for most of the bus. Like a, a bus is about a hundred grand now with a diesel engine in it. If you buy the electric, which is a lot more money, but with the, incentives it's cheaper to buy that bus than a diesel bus again it's coming from taxpayer dollars this is just insane i would have never i thought the forty thousand dollar federal credit was insane and now they're talking about two hundred and forty thousand dollars or two hundred and eighty eight thousand dollars what a what a disaster this is going to be okay kevin did you ever and I think I might have mentioned this to you several years ago. I heard that 53% of the population get their check through the government. 47% of us work to pay that. That's the problem. Now, that's all your military, all your police, all your firemen, all your city, state, county workers, politicians. That all comes from 47% of the population. Well, what about As that all these? population retires... What about all the welfare programs? Who's paying for all those? All the welfare people. Yeah. Right. right. All the giving Nike shoes to the illegals coming in. I mean, that 47% of us can only pay so much. And the well's going to run dry. So here's another quote from this article. Nicola estimates, estimates fueling time for FCEVs at its Nicola fueling stations will be around 20 minutes based on expected technology improvements. They can't do that right now. Expected technology improvements, stuff they haven't even proven yet, might get us down to 20 minutes of fueling time. Nikola has begun to implement its hydrogen dispensing station development and program in California, and they have three stations. That's going to work really well. I thought well. he was in jail. Oh, yeah, the, he was in jail. Now, the founder of um, Nikola is potentially going to jail. Yeah, he's been sued for all kinds of money, and he might face jail time. The company's still going. 
somebody bought it. I think, I don't know if I remember General Motors may have been a big part of it. I don't remember for sure, but it's, it's Nikola's still out there and they're still going. They have a whole three, three stations built in California. That sounds practical. Great. Yeah. I just can't believe we're giving them all that money. That's insane. All right. San Diego to Redding. How many miles is that? San Diego to Redding would be, that's got to be, be 500 and some. Is that right? No. No, it's way more than that. Yeah. That's a long way. That's a long way. You got three stations. Uh, yeah. And, and there are San Diego to Portland. Well, well, think about that, Bruce. Traveling north and south in California, depending on what time of day or night it is, I might use I-5 or I might use, um, you know, what's the other divided highway there just east of I-5? Um, I want to say 101, but that's not right. There's another, you can go either way. Well, but where are these stations going to be if there's only three in the whole damn state? And why are, I just don't understand the whole hydrogen thing. This is complicated. This truck's heavy because now it's got batteries and hydrogen. It's, I just, I don't know. And we're going to spend all of this money from us, from people who don't get one of these trucks. We're paying for all these. I think it's a shame. So when I travel from Maryland Back to Pittsburgh, there's one charging station, a Tesla charging station on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. It's, I think it's out in uh, New Stanton, Somerset area. I pull in. I see the Tesla sitting there. I go in, use the restroom, uh, maybe buy something inside to eat, come out, fill my fuel tank, and I'm gone. They're still sitting there. So did you ever try to catch somebody that's 10 minutes ahead of you going down a highway? 10 minutes. Yeah. Not 30 minutes. Right. 10 minutes. Yeah. You can't catch them. So, so and if they want to go east to west, they're going to lose so much time on charging. Now the new, is it, the, do I want to call it Lucerne or Lucid? The Lucid Air? Yeah. It'll go 500 miles. Right. That's not so bad. You can get 500 miles running your air conditioner, your heater, and drive at 80 miles an hour. Oh, now you're Not pushing so it, Bruce. But, that car but, might get five miles. But where do you? It might get 500 miles, but not that. that's ideal. That's absolutely best case scenario. Okay. So where do you charge a Lucid if it's not compatible with the Tesla? You have to charge these other station. And what is Tesla going to charge you? To charge your lucid. Exactly. Nobody talks about the cost. Here's another one, though. Who Who's going to fuel my hydrogen truck? Do I have to do it? I can't imagine that I'm going to be allowed to do it myself. So we're going to have to pay people to stand there and fuel these trucks, right? I did see a hydrogen gas station several years ago. There were some hydrogen cars, I think. And the people were putting fuel in themselves. Hydrogen? It's like only one one that I've ever seen. I think it was hydrogen. I didn't know we had any hydrogen vehicles on the road. Maybe it was natural gas. Natural gas, yes. We had natural gas vehicles. 
Look at the natural gas. I mean, look at the explosion we had on natural gas 20 years ago, and we thought that was going to overtake diesel fuel, and it hasn't. No, natural gas was a, it now. was and still is a disaster when you try to convert these diesel engines. Roush does a bunch of them, and all the data I saw when they converted a Class 8 to natural gas, the maintenance cost doubled. Why? I don't know. They didn't give any details. They gave the numbers, but they didn't give the details. Now, these were... Um, natural gas converted Cummins engines. Um, and I'm pretty sure the company is Roush. They do a bunch of pickup trucks too with Cummins. But they were doing, I think it was 2014 or 2015, they were doing a lot of these and putting out numbers. And after about a year of, there were two fleets that had several, like maybe 10 to 15 of these trucks. And after a year or about a year and a half, they started reporting numbers and I went through the numbers and the maintenance cost on that fleet, when they compared a traditional diesel powered truck with that same Cummins, the trucks were virtually identical, except some had been converted to use natural gas. The maintenance cost on the natural gas vehicles was double. They didn't explain why. Yeah. I just sit by a major truck stop and watch the trucks going in and out buying diesel fuel. How are you going to replace that with electricity? Or hydrogen. Or hydrogen. Yeah, I or agree. anything else that we Yeah, and I'm, I'm fine with either technologies as long as they can make it on their own. Not getting hundreds of thousands of dollars of tax credits. That, that's the biggest problem I have here. Not the technology, the fact that we're not we're not really proving that the technology can work on its own. We're only proving it can work with big government incentives. And I'm not even sure it's going to work then. All right. We I keep saying this, but we're going to grab one more call and then we're going to wrap this up today. Malcolm in Utah, you get the final word. Yeah, thanks for taking the call. Hey, just a quick question on the, the catalyst. I Hope this isn't out of your lane. It's on a smaller chat fleet, just the, the Ram Cummins. But I, will that catalyst actually clean the engine up when you're using it over time? I know I see some definite improvements, but I'm wondering if it will gradually get yeah. rid of all the soot that's in there. It will. It will get rid of all the soot. Uh, if you take a, an over-the-road truck in 90 days, it takes about 90 days of running. Uh, to completely clean that engine out in the emission systems. Now, if that truck already has a half a million mile on and you set a diesel pickup, let's say the diesel pickup has 100,000 on it, uh, a lot of that's going to get caught in the DPF, and you may have to take the DPF out and get it cleaned or take it to a place that can take it out and clean it because all that soot and carbon that's built up has to go somewhere. But it will render the engine uh, spotless inside, and the entire exhaust. Well, that's system. what I've i run oh, since they came out, and still running them commercially for years. And I just had one that had close to seven hundred thousand on it, a, an 07. They're the the pre-death ones, but had to put a new turbo in them when we had it apart. The 
the plenum and the EGR system, everything's just clear full of soot. We cleaned that pretty good, but I have an 09 that's kind of in the same position, but I run the catalyst in it. And it, it seems like I could swear the turbo and exhaust brake, everything's starting to work better. But I just wonder yeah. if it will actually clean out what's in that intake plenum and the EGR cooler yeah. and all that. It's really full of soot. Even if you Good take enough. a non-EGR truck, and like a 2002 and older, and run it, uh, it'll clean the soot out of the exhaust pipes. I don't know how it does that, but it it does. That's what that's what I wondered what how it how it does do that. I still have a '96 I bought originally. Just gave it to my son. He has his own truck business. You know, bigger trucks he runs, but that truck's got just and don't over treat this chemical the chemical's very yeah. powerful, so don't overtreat. You know, it's one ounce to 25 gallon, and it's smaller, like gasoline or uh, diesel cars and pickups. It's one cc per gallon. Yeah, I usually try to err on maybe the the shy side when I do it. But a year or so ago, I started on the catalyst in both of them. <laughs> in like two or three weeks, both of them broke manifolds. I, said, ah, I don't know if that had something to do with it. I don't think it did, but yeah. you have since started running it again and and my own nine that if it when i'm pulling a hill it'll get a, a low boost code which i think the turbo's just a little bit sooted up and but it seems like a it's dodge up and just a ram yeah 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 then then super good trucks i like i say i just haul, haul farm chemical all over utah i have for like 35 years and started running them and they're They've just been phenomenal. The 96 was the best, of course. I meant, anyway, I meant manifold. Do you have, do you have pyrometers in these trucks by any chance? I don't. I drive them myself and, you know, take it pretty easy going over the big mountain passes in them, but yeah, I should put pyrometers in them. Yeah, that has no control over that, uh, that exhaust temperature, so... Yeah, I just, my main question was, will it clean the engines up? It sounds like it will. Maybe yeah. it should be selling. It will. <laughs> there you go. All right. We are going to wrap this up for today. I will see you back here tomorrow for Destination Health. No guests. It's going to have a health free-for-all tomorrow. And Thursday is a free-for-all. Anything goes. And then uh, we'll be off again on Friday for the holiday weekend. So, We'll see you back here tomorrow. Thanks to the team from Pittsburgh Power, as always. We'll do it again next week. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.